Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedan, founder and CEO of Devian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host, Christopher Dedian, and today we have Nick Collins on the show, which he is the founder and CEO of Satoris Digital. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing great. Yourself? I am great as well. Really looking forward to having awesome. you on the show and talking about you know uh, digital marketing and how to advance and how to stand out in the marketplace when it comes to the digital world because it is becoming very, very, very congested of a market, but it's still room to grow and stand out. But before going into all that, Nick, I just gave a small introduction of who you are and what you do. Do you mind unpacking that a bit more in detail for our viewers and listeners? Sure. So Sartorius Digital, I founded the company originally as Nick Collins Design back in 2013 after working a lot of years for other consulting companies and ad agencies and things of that nature. And really seeing a lot of things that I felt could be done differently or better to serve the customers. And so eventually it got to the point where it's like, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm kind of tired of doing things the same way that everyone else wants to. I'm, I'm ready to go on my own. And so that's what I did. So originally it was just me, and uh, we can we can talk a little more about that a little bit. But uh, you know, over time, we started growing my team and growing not just our uh, our size as far as capacity, but also our capabilities. So now we're a full service digital agency. Do all kinds of things like you know web development, both like websites and applications, mobile apps, uh, digital marketing in terms of you know um, like social media and all that kind of stuff. Um, content marketing, you know, even some video production, although that's not something that we really advertise right now, but it is something that we, we are starting to do a lot more of um, at the request of our customers. So, you know, it really just has been growing, you know, crazy, especially the last several years, as everyone's kind of been forced kicking and screaming into the online and digital world, whether they wanted to or not. <laughs> Hundred percent, and like you mentioned, there was a lot of uh, uh, you know change in that regards through the pandemic. Like you said, a lot of people that were holding back had no choice to survive in their entrepreneurial uh, journey or in their business to go into online world. Now, you mentioned something in regards to when you were previously working in other companies and doing uh, uh, about the same job. You saw certain needs in the marketplace and certain things that you want to do different when it comes to your mm-hmm. business in the digital world. What were those things? What did you notice in the other companies towards what you do different that is going to help and serve your community? What were those things? So one of the big things I saw was that it seemed like everyone was doing things backwards. Um, And to elaborate on that, especially in the the software space, I would see uh, some VP or some C-level guy who would get... uh, 
I don't want to say wine and dine, but you know, he, he get the song and dance from one of these big software companies. And you know, a couple of the big ones that I saw really do this really well, I guess, were like SAP and Siebel, you know, these really big software giants. They would get him to sign a contract for, you know, some 10, $15 million software and support agreement. And then he would go to his IT people and say, hey, we just spent all this money buying this thing, figure out how to make it work for our business. And what I ended up seeing happening was they were actually having to pivot and retool their business and the way they operated around the software that they bought instead of buying the software that fit the way they did their business. And I saw this happen over and over and over again with a lot of you know Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies. And I just would sit there, you know, as someone who was working on the engineering side, scratching my head going, what are you thinking? I mean, why don't you look at what you need to do and then buy something to do that rather than buying something and figure out what you're going to use it for? This is just completely backwards. And I saw it over and over again. Like I said, and, you know, eventually I said, you know what? This is backwards. We, we can't keep doing this thing this, this way. So when I went and launched my own business, originally we just did software development. And our key thing was, you know, we're going to really get to know your company, how your company operates, and then we're going to build custom software that is tailored to your business, to your culture, to the way you do things, that, that, you know, that, that special sauce, the thing that makes you unique. So instead of having 50 companies who are all doing things the Siebel way or the SAP way, no, you're going to have a software that really allows you to say, hey, this is the way we do things. This is the secret thing that we bring to our customers. And we're going to have the technology now to support that rather than fighting against the technology. Okay, so it's a great collaboration of understanding what they already have in place, not buying something and then making it fit, but making something custom to whatever they have and as well being associated to, like you said, their special sauce, their mission and vision, their uh, approach of how they do business, how they communicate and creating something in that regards. So I love that approach, Absolutely. Nick. And as it's clear, you've obviously succeeded with that approach in your business. And talk to me a bit about the digital marketing side of the world. Like we mentioned, uh, we alluded to previously that everybody went on the social world and a lot of business does mm -hmm. happen in the social world now. How do we stand out? like on the social world? How do we be like that person that can be recognized? What are certain tricks, tips, or even methodologies that you could give to our listeners over here that's starting a business? Maybe they have a mature business, but they're having a hard time getting consistent leads through the things that they're putting on social. What are certain tricks and methodologies mm -hmm. you could talk about in that regards? So at risk of sounding cliche, really, and Business is the same as business has been at its core. It's all about serving your customers and meeting their needs. So what you really want to do is you want to highlight how you are meeting your customers' needs. If you have specific metrics and things like that, that's all great and everything. Eventually, people will want to see that. But you know, when you're trying to hook their attention, people have more and more reduced attention spans than, you know, previous generations, right? And what we've seen is that there's been people who have found ways to stand out above that. Uh, one, of the, one of the groups that I really follow and uh, I love the work they're doing is the Harmon Brothers. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for the listeners who may not be familiar, they're the ones, the geniuses behind the marketing for like Squatty Potty, um, Purple, you know, a number of other companies. And the, the genius that they bring is by combining humor with the marketing. 
And if, if you listen to like some of the stuff that they've done, I mean, they get people to actually sit there and watch a two to three minute advertisement, you know, because their advertising is entertaining. So, you know, in the same way that um, when, when you and I were growing up, like in the you know, 80s and 90s, how edutainment was you know, like a huge thing of combining entertainment with education. Well, we can do the same thing in the marketing space, bringing entertainment in that happens to be marketing. A lot of times, you know, people will watch your stuff. They will engage at a much higher level than they would otherwise because they are entertained. And we're talking about a lot of their ads go on Facebook and YouTube and so like they're getting like 60 million views on these things. You know, it's like every single time they put something out, it goes viral. And that's what is as close to guaranteeing a viral reach as you can get. So, you know, using entertainment is a great way in order to be able to communicate with customers. And uh, Donald Miller talks about this in building the story brand, right? You know, story is the single most effective way of communication that mankind has. And that has not changed. I mean, you're going back 4,000 years, 5,000 years, how did they communicate? They told stories, right? Well, we want to do the same thing. And so, you know, one of the best things you can do to be a good marketer today is to be a good storyteller. Okay. So there's two parts to that, which I like. So one is you could be an entertainer, right? Which is great. And if you have that capacity, all for it. But I do believe that not everybody is an entertainer and they shouldn't be. Like mm -hmm. you shouldn't, if you're not a funny person or you don't have that touch, don't try to get out of your if country. If you sit there like this, it's not a good idea to go into entertainment. So exactly. So you still have to have that. And even if, like, like you said, you still want to go into entertainment or not even entertainment, because that's the big word. We're not talking about entertainment here. We're talking about putting your product out there on socials. And everybody has that accessibility now that barrier has been broken, right? It's not the entertainment <clears> world anymore. But if you're talking about somebody that doesn't necessarily have that, understanding the storytelling side of it, which you kind of alluded to, I think is very valuable because you do mention, and it is 100% true, that as human beings, we've always been storytellers. We always transfer information through storytelling towards when back when we were sitting down in the Stone Age and sitting around a fire, there were stories that were uh, transmitted. Or now it's uh, uh, books that we read, uh, movies that we watch, and so on and so forth. It's a story. So those two factors, I think, are very important that you highlighted in regards to either making it entertaining in whatever way, shape, or form, or making it into a story that is engaging with your community. Now, those are two main uh, aspects. So once you have that and you got your client's attention and so on and so forth, what do you think is the best way to get them to potentially go down, let's call it the funnel in air quotes and potentially become a buying client of yours? Is that having a solid website? Is that having an application? Is that just having a link to your products? What do you think that would be? Oh, there's multiple different ways they, they can be engaged. I mean, a website is certainly something that it's, it's kind of like a college degree these days, right? You know, it's one of those things that it's no longer a nice to have. It's pretty much an imperative, mm -hmm. you know, and the, the, the effectiveness of your website depends on a, a multiple of factors that we don't have time to go into all of them today. Um, there's all kinds of tips and tricks and things like color theory and, you know, storytelling on the web and things like that, that, that all go into it when you're working with a, prof a truly professional web designer. Um, but at the end of the day, really, it's, you know, showcasing how your product or how your service is going to fill their need. And sometimes part of that is through your storytelling 
getting them to perceive a need that they may not have already or increasing in their mind the pain of the need that they already have. So as an example, um, let's say you're, you're, lo you're looking for a car and you know, you're originally looking for like just basic transportation, right? Something to get you from point A to point B. Well, you go to a website where they're advertising cars going to an auto website. They're just like these like classified ads, glorified things, it's really, really boring. But I, I saw one and the name is escaping me right now at the moment, but what they actually did is they were actually showcasing a different vehicle each time. And when they were doing that showcase, I mean, they were, they were not just going, oh, hey, it has radio, it has this, you know, talking about, you know, the features and benefits. They were actually, you know, through their storytelling, like putting you in the driver's seat of, hey, you know, imagine you're, you know, you're driving this thing to work, you're listening to this great music, Be, you know, because it has this acoustic, you know, noise canceling technology in the vehicle, you're not hearing all the noise around you. So when everyone else is like frazzled and stressed during rush hour, instead you are calm and cool and collected, just enjoying your commute. You know, and they're really using the story to create a new context. We're going, oh man, I never really thought about how much I'm stressed going to work. Yeah, that'd be really great to have that feature. Next thing you know, you're buying a car that's, you know, $20,000, $30,000 more than you were originally planning on because now it's no longer just, I need to get from point A to point B. It's like, I need this experience. I need to, I need to have this particular thing, you know, that is going to give me this, this lifestyle, right? Um, so, it's, you know, it all comes down to the you know, effective communication and being able to kind of amplify the pain and, and offer the solution. Nice. I love that. So it's the desired outcome, right? Sometimes people don't even know that what the desired outcome is. And like you show them, Hey, you know what? Maybe you mm -hmm. didn't think about this, but if you get X, Y, and Z, imagine, like you said, the example of the car, but if you presented that, Hey, maybe a car could drive for you and you don't <laughs> think that you need it. But then once you taste it of like, Oh, wait a minute, I'm commuting, but I could sit in the back, do my stuff or even take a nap. They're like, oh, wait a minute, this is an actual need. So co correlating what the desired need is and showing them that that's the way is a great tool to the marketing aspect. So I love the fact that you're highlighting that, Nick. And, you yeah, and Steve Jobs was an absolute master at that. Yes, Steve Jobs is a hundred percent. How many times did he tell people, you need this? And by the end of his keynote, when he got to that one more thing, people are sitting there on their phones or their devices, like going, you know, refresh, refresh, refresh on the Apple store, waiting to buy the thing he's been talking about, yes. right? So it's like, you know, he, he was an absolute master at, you know, crafting that story from the stage and getting people to actually be salivating over their product within half an hour. 100%. So he, he, he famously said, you know, it doesn't matter what people want, we'll tell them what they want. But that's really a huge visionary. I don't use that word very often, but I definitely do believe Steve mm -hmm. Jobs is a visionary and a great storyteller. We had mentioned it previously, and you were mentioning when he goes on stage, they, he created this proper approach of how to create that desire with the outcome. So I 100% agree with that. And uh, Nick, as you kind of mentioned, it's been now several years that you have starting your business and it grew from going just, you know, web design to now applications, digital marketing, and even now in the video space. How did that process happen for you with the growth of the organization as a leader? How were you in the beginning? What did you learn? What are certain uh, aspects that you had to develop within the skill set to be the leader that you are with the team that you have today? Sure. So like, like many entrepreneurs, when I first got started, it was just me in the business. Mm -hmm. um, some people are fortunate enough to have a partner. Me, all, all I had was me, right? Um, 
it started off initially with you know working for a big consulting firm the project was ending they didn't have anything immediately to be able to put me on and so i got laid off fortunately had a little bit of severance from that and after going a few months of not being able to find anything i was like you know what this is ridiculous i'm, I'm doing it on my own i've been, I've been seeing how everyone is doing things backwards. Why do I want to put myself back into that? Let, let me, let's just, you know, just go whole hog, you know, do this on my own, you know, jump in with both feet. And so I took some of that severance, filed all the paperwork to form LLC and all that fun stuff that we all deal with um, on, the, on the front end of the business and dove in. I uh, got a couple of clients fairly quickly, um, you know, by, by working through some like headhunters and just networking and stuff like that, that, you know, that I knew, got a couple of clients, started, you know, really, you know, uh, making a name for myself. When I first started off, I didn't know the first thing about marketing, right? All I knew was the, the basic tenant that I had always uh, been brought up with, my, my father was self-employed as well, was always to the best of your ability, do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. And that was all I brought to the table is, hey, if I tell you I'm going to deliver this thing to you, I will, you know, I will move hell and earth to make it happen. Right. And so, unfortunately, that mindset could also be detrimental when you're working as a solopreneur. And that's what happened to me. So I started going whole hog and business started picking up, um, for, formed the business in July. By December, we'd already brought in around $90,000 in, in sales. Um, that for that first year, you know, things were going pretty, pretty well. And then, you know, next year we doubled that next year, we doubled that. And by that time I was working three to four all nighters every week just to try and stay on top of everything between trying to, you know, meet the client needs and also all the, all the backups of a business, you know, the counting and bookkeeping and, you know, all that stuff. And I, I was trying to do everything myself because this was my baby, right? <laughs> And I had a really difficult time even thinking about turning anything. And I wasn't even hiring a CPA because I was like, I need to do everything myself. I need to know how everything works. I, you know, I need to be in control of this. And unfortunately, you know, it, it didn't take too long before my, my body started rebelling against that. Uh, and I actually ended up putting myself in the hospital, not once, but twice from exhaustion. Um, and the, the doctors at first didn't even know what it was. I started having like, like these blackouts, lost time. I was at the point where when I would go to a client, I would take the train there and get back. The little eight-minute drive from the train station to my apartment, I was having to put my address into the GPS because sometimes I'd be driving that little eight-minute drive and all of a sudden not know where I was. Or my wife would ask me to go get something in Target and I'd go to a different department and all of a sudden not even know what store I was in. And, you know, that, you know when, I, when I started realizing that, that was a huge wake-up call for me um, when I started actually passing out. Like, I was just like, drop. Um, and when, when the doctors looked into it, they said, look, you know, we were able to replicate this happening to you. They say my heart was completely stopping for six seconds. And my, my blood pressure was dropping, like, to the floor. Um, and, you know, really, you know, what it was is just extreme exhaustion. I was pushing my body too hard. And so, you know, a, a lot of, I, I try to use that as a little bit of a cautionary tale for other people I've seen starting their own businesses because you don't have to do that. A lot of times it's really easy to feel like you need to because you're, you know, this is your baby. You know, you're trying to take this thing, you're trying to grow it, you're trying to nurture it. 
but you have to eventually get to the point where you're saying, you know what, I need to delegate. If we're going to scale, if we're going to grow, it can't be just me because I only have so many hours in the day and it's not just bad for your health, it's bad for your family, it's bad for you know everybody around you and it's bad for your clients because you're no longer able to work at your peak performance, right? Um, and so really, you know, it came to the point where it's like, okay, I need to start delegating. And so I, I started putting feelers out, found a really good partner that I could partner with, and we built a network of um, other freelancers and things like that. And this is something I actually learned from one of the agencies that I, I worked at, where they had this pool of resources called the studio. And so you would have these like small teams they were dedicated for each different account. There would be a creative director, a copywriter, and an art director. But then based on the current needs on that particular account, they could pull resources from this pool as needed. That will allow them to quickly scale up and scale down as, as resources were needed. And so I worked with a couple of other uh, partners and said, hey, let, let's put together this pool of resources that we'll all share We'll agree not to compete directly against one another, not go after one of each other's clients. But by doing this, we can have a pool of resources that are, are going to be, they're dedicated for us. So they're not going to be going elsewhere because we're keeping them busy enough between the two or three of us. But we can all rapidly scale up and down as we needed to. And so if I had a project come in, it's like, hey, okay, I need... Um, two engineers, a QA dev, and a DevOps you know, person for the back end, or I need a copywriter, I need you know, a designer to do this or that. All, all I need to do is make a phone call to one of the project managers we had kind of managing that pool of resources, and I could have them in a couple of days ramped up, ready for the project. Um, so it gave us a lot of scalability and flexibility to be able to grow and kind of pivot on a dime as projects, no matter the size, came in. Uh, I had one project came in, I had to have 30 people ramp up for the project, and I was able to do that in two days, right? With people that I knew and trusted, that I you know knew their work, knew they could deliver, and I wouldn't have been able to do that had we not built that pool of resources. Uh, that were basically, you know, because they weren't gonna be engaged in other projects, they're always available. So, you know, that was something that we, we did that really worked really well for us. Now, unfortunately, with the pandemic, you know, that whole model kind of got shattered and we had to, uh, you know, readjust. But, um, but you know, now that things are settling down again, then, you know, it, it's starting to work again. So um, I think, you know, if, if you can find a couple other, you know, like-minded people, different parts of the country, even different parts of the world that you can kind of create that kind of model with, it can work really well for you. Okay, Nick, I mean, that was great there's a lot of things to unpack over there so first and foremost <laughs> on the back end you mentioned delegating and if you're an entrepreneur right now and you think that you're going to do everything by yourself pending what your ambition and your goals are if they're big and and really lofty physically impossible you're going to do it for by yourself and you're not going to be able to go as far if you decide to keep it in a smaller way but do it by yourself that is okay but you have to understand that there is going to be a limit of how much sales you could do, how many clients you could onboard because you only have so much hours in a day. Now that's one part I wanted to highlight, but the main thing, first and foremost, Nick, I just want to thank you, brother, for being so transparent and telling us about your story of the kind of burnout. And I'm doing an air quotes because I don't know if that's what it was that you were explaining, but it's pretty much close to what you were saying over here. And the reason why I want to highlight this, 
I've been uh, speaking professionally and doing peak performance coaching for executive C-suites and top tier entrepreneurs for now several years. And in the beginning of my career, I was completely shocked and surprised that all these top end producers all have gone to a certain level of burnout. Some people call it overwhelmed. Some people call it, uh, I'm tired. Some people call it, I'm stressed. Some people call it actual burnout, whatever the case is. But not a lot of people talk about it. And when they feel that as an entrepreneur, they think they're by themselves feeling that and they think that they're not good. They think they're not strong enough. They think the hustle culture, oh, I'll sleep when I'll die, which is all BS. Literally, your biochemistry, your body is meant to take breaks. And not only that, it helps you being more productive. So the fact that you were doing that and then your body starts speaking to you in such a intense way of your heart, not like beating for six seconds and you're blacking out and you're forgetting where you are in target and forgetting your home address. These are intense things, signals that your body's showing you. Some signals that I Absolutely. notice is when I do stupid mistakes that I usually don't do like very, very single things like I mistake somebody's name when I write it down or something like that. I realize, oh, wait a minute, my body's telling me I should take a little break. So first and foremost, I wanted to say that and just congratulate you for really bringing that in the forefront and noticing that and changing your behaviors because it's physically impossible and then start hiring people. So I wanted to highlight that one uh, first and foremost over there. My next thing that I wanted to kind of allude to, once you figure that out and you started delegating so much more, where was the, the threshold of like, oh my God, now I'm so much more in control. Was it a certain number of people you started hiring? Was it having better habits of sleeping patterns? Was it saying no to certain clients? How did you go about tipping that towards having a more balanced lifestyle towards family work and at the same time still growing and building your business? So I think it's a combination of a lot of those things. Um, firing bad clients is something that is terrifying for an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. uh, especially as you're trying to build your business because you're like, I need every dime I can get. I don't know when the next project is coming. I don't know when the next, you know, whatever, depending on your market, I don't know when the next thing is coming. And so I need to try and, you know, this is almost like a hoarder mentality, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that really is, it's, it's kind of like a sickness that every entrepreneur gets at some point and you have to overcome it. Because if you will, if you cannot fire a bad client, then they will weigh you down, and they will prevent you from being able to serve and you know find good clients. Um, as an example, I had a I had a client that would literally call me up at like 10 p.m. saying, "Hey, I need X Y Z done, and I need it done like tomorrow morning." All right, now. That happens every once in a while. You know, you can make allowances for it, especially if it's an otherwise good client. But this was becoming habitual. You know, it was like on a regular basis. And then I would end up working all night to get it done. I'd deliver it to them in the morning, exactly what they asked for, because I'd have really good notes. Hey, here's exactly what you asked for. I would like use Zoom to record the conversation so I could go back and reference that. I would say, this is what you asked me for. Like, oh, well, that really wasn't what I had in mind. So I want this instead. And so then instead of being able to say, okay, I worked through the night and I'm going to take a few hours to rest. Well, now I worked through the night. Now I'm rushing to try and get done this new change request they have, trying to meet this, you know, this arbitrary deadline that they keep setting. And then sometimes I'd have find out, well, this wasn't even necessary at all. This is something that they don't even need for like another week or two, right? Those are clients you do not want to work for, but you know, 
you have to get you have to change your mindset and mindset is really one of the biggest things that i think entrepreneurs struggle with you know because you get into like i said it's like a hoarder mentality when you're starting a business you need to get out of that and get into the you know i want to have popular terms clean money coming in mm -hmm. right i i want the money coming in to be coming in from good clients where both of us are being made happy by this arrangement you know neither of us are taking advantage of the other one we're both helping one another it's you know, uh, a partnership between service provider and client where we're coming in as a, a trusted advisor, as a partner to help them grow their business in some way, to help provide them a better quality of life, a better quality of you know service to their customers. You know, we're there to help them, but at the same time, you don't do that at the expense of yourself or your team. I, I love that. I love that uh, approach because like you said, a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in the beginning, which kind of makes sense, are afraid of that. But the way you have to look at it is that you're not losing money by telling no to this client. You're actually gaining energy. And the energy is so much more valuable than any money. And the example that you gave in the beginning of you were having a hard time with like, you know, losing your, yourself and all that, that's linked up with energy. If you have so much more energy, then you're able to go get two great clients, which you're going to work mm -hmm. with them, enjoy the work and just have so much more logical experience and a better experience with those people. So by you not taking that bad client, not having that money, you're going to have an opportunity to have the positive energy to go get two great clients. So that's the way you have to change it. And like you said, all this is based with your mindset. And then once you get to a certain position, which I'm sure Nick you're at, and I'm blessed to be at in my speaking and coaching business right now, mm -hmm is as much as the client has a choice to work with us, we have a choice to work with the client. And then you have to be very intentional of who you're allowing to work with you and vice versa. And then as you get to that point, then you just have great clients, great experiences, great testimonials, and the business just grows. Nick, I do see that we're coming to time here, but I have a couple of last questions that I want to ask you. My sure. next one is, it's very clear that you are a successful individual. Clearly, you will work yourself to the bone. So you have that work ethic that's there. Uh, you have the structures that's growing the business and so on. And we learn so much from people's successes. But I truly believe we learn so much more from our own failures, our own mistakes. But then we also have the opportunity to learn from other people's failures and mistakes and learn from that. So my question to you is, right now, what is something within your business that you're having a hard time with, that there's room to optimize, or even that is a difficulty? And then once you're going to name what that is, how are you thinking about fixing that problem, creating that solution for that problem? So I think one of the biggest challenges that, that we face is, you know, and again, a lot of this was a mindset mentality thing for me. Spending so much time working with a lot of these Fortune 500, Fortune 100 uh, companies, you, you get you get used to working a, a projects at a certain size and a certain caliber and pay rate, right? And one, one of the, the conclusions that I came to, and a lot of this came as a result of the, the pandemic and the shutdowns, because we saw a lot of our clients were completely shut down. Many of the contacts that we had made within those companies, some of them even went in completely different lines of work just because you know, like, hey, I can't stay here. I've got to find something to do. And so they went off in completely different directions. And so we, we saw much of our network that we had spent years you know, cultivating building dissolve at a very rapid rate. So one of the, and, you know, the realization I came to was not every client can be a whale, right? You know, when, when you're talking about big projects, I'm talking about ones that are the you know, six, seven figure contracts, 
you, you can't sit around and wait for those because they're not going to come along every day. When you do come along, you're usually talking about six to nine month sales cycles on those. By the time you've talked to everybody that you need to talk to and get sign off and it gets run up the food chain because a lot of times with those dollar amounts it has to go up to the, you know, the C-suite to get sign off and approval. And so you have to wait on their availability. And there's all these different factors there that really just prolongs that sales cycle. And so, you know, if you need money now, if you need work now because your guys are sitting around twiddling their thumbs, that doesn't work. That doesn't cut it. So one of the realizations I came to, like I said, you know, not every client can be a whale. And that's why one of the big changes we made in the last, I'd say, six, seven months here is we really started lowering the barrier to entry to our services. Mm. You know, instead of saying, hey, all we're doing is enterprise software, you know, big mobile apps and things like that. It's like, no, okay, we're going to leverage those skill sets we already have, kind of going back to basics. Say, you know what, okay, we're also now going to be offering regular web design and not just the big custom websites like, you know, the Ford.coms and, you know, things of those, nat those natures and those scales. No, we'll do your five-page website and we'll offer it at a scale and a price point that is, you know, accessible to SMBs, right? Because one of the things I think that we saw through the pandemic is all these big companies were having a lot of struggles. Well, the little guys were having a lot more struggles and they didn't have as much to fall back on. They don't have these big cushions. They don't get the bailouts and stuff like the bigger corporations do. And so I really had a, had a burden to really help the small companies, these small businesses, the mom and pop shops to be able to be successful. And so that was a pivot that we, we made partially out of you know my desire to help them, but also out of necessity to be able to broaden our customer base rather than having a few big clients that brought in a lot of work. I would rather have a bunch of smaller clients that I'm able to help and really serve and help them survive when they otherwise might not. I love that approach because like you said, you understand the correlation and it's fun to always get those big whales, but that's far and few in between when they come. It's great. But like you said, everything about that process is bigger. It's like Titanic. If you want to turn Titanic around mm -hmm. the boat, it's not that agile. It takes time towards when you're on a little speedboat. It's so much more agile and you need that accessibility in business. You need those, those, you know, the bread and butter, and that's the smaller uh, range price points, but they're more repetitive, mm -hmm. even though the ROI is not as big the speed of return and investment is so much faster than those big whales. So understanding that uh, mindset and not only understanding it, but putting the systems and processes in place within your team to be able to receive those people, I think is spot on. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, Nick. Sure. Well, like you look said, at an example of that, like in Hollywood, um, you know, your Pixar's industrial light and magic, these big production houses, they don't make their money on the big blockbuster films. They make their money on doing the television commercials so they can afford to take on the blockbuster films. Otherwise, they'd be, you know, having to lay everybody off and people would be unemployed and they'd be constantly trying to attract new talent because they'd all be gone all the time because there was no work to do. 100%. It's understanding your bread and butter, right? Like LeBron James exactly. says this. He's like, listen, I have so many businesses. He's actually uh, one of the five active athletes right now that is a billionaire. And he's like, I understand the main thing for me is being a basketball player. Everything's around that. If I'm not a great basketball player, I don't got the shoe deal. I don't got the movie opportunities, X, Y, and Z. So understanding what your main thing is and going hard on that, and then everything else kind of will add upon, which is what you're kind of alluding to over here, uh, I think is a great uh, approach. So Nick, uh, my last question to you is, people are listening to this. They're like, oh my God, this guy's sharp. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to marketing, web design, uh, applications, so on and so forth. 
And they're like, hey, where can I reach this dude? What's the best place to communicate with you? Where can we uh, like, you know, tell our clients to go and get in touch with you? So they can always find me on social media, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. But the best place to get in touch with me is just going to our website, sartorisdigital.com. You, know, you can use the, the contact us link, the phone number and email address are on there. And you know, perhaps like a lot of our companies that are you know, the scale and you know, breadth that ours is, um, we actually have it where when you call those numbers, you go directly to me. Um, I, I'm, I've made sure that I'm always the gatekeeper. And now I have project managers that will take on a project and kind of run the day-to-day. But I'm always involved in every single project that we work in to make sure that we're delivering for our customers. And so when you call that phone number, you're going to get me on the other end of the line. That's amazing. So everything you mentioned will be in the show notes below. Nick, awesome job. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. And congratulations for all of your success thus far. Thanks for having me. Christopher Dedian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Fitness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or intrapreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didier. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day.